Hello and welcome to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my fiancé to watch the musicals he really should have seen by now and then we talk about them. I am the fiancé. And I'm Drew. And we're all a little mad today. Yep. Because we're going to Wonderland. Yeah. How do you get to Wonderland, Drew? I don't remember what the lyrics of the song say that you do. Is it like over the hill and underland? Yes. I'm not sure. Or just behind a tree. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how the lyrics go either, but I know it's a really nice opening song. It's it's very reminiscent of the Cinderella one. Yes. Yes, it absolutely is. That It feels very much like it's back to that era of Disney. I watched this one quite recently. Mm-hmm. I say quite recently, but like 2015, 2016-ish. And I remember just kind of being amazed at like how trippy this film is. Yes. I watched it ill, which maybe didn't help contribute to that. <laughs> Probably not. But this is one that's interesting is I feel like this is a huge deal. Like so many people love this one I think Mm -hmm. but I also think there's so many like iconic characters that you always see at Disney or characters within other media obviously the source material is it Lewis Carroll yes Lewis Carroll's book has like a huge fan base and loads of different people have taken their own creative slant on Alice. So, like, you've got your Chris Riddell, Alice in Wonderland illustrated book. Mm-hmm. And obviously then Tim Burton did his remake and his redesign of the characters. But you've also had, like, dark versions of Alice. Like, I remember an old video game with this dark Alice. I mean, the, the yeah, I like that game. Um, the thing is, nobody's really done anything original with Alice in Wonderland. In the vast majority of them, she's usually blonde. Sometimes you have Alice with dark hair. Like the one that I grew up watching was, I don't even know what the actress was, but it was a live action one. Yeah. And the girl playing Alice had dark hair. And nobody really does a lot different. Like you get the ones where it's like, ooh, it's a dark take on Alice in Wonderland. It's like, it was already pretty dark. That's the thing is it is quite a dark... (laughs) film anyway you can't really get away from the darkness of it and it's just she's having a nightmare the whole time yes or if you want to really read into it like you're a over-the-top english lit teacher (laughs) which you now are um you can go into the whole oh she's on drugs morphine mad hatter because of the chemicals in the hat and you know all that nonsense Which I don't have any time for. It does definitely feel like a crazy drug trip. How did this one come about from Disney? Because, you know, you do go around Disneyland or the Disney parks and it does feel like Alice is a big deal. I know that in Disneyland Paris, they've got the Cheshire Cat Maze. Yep. We met the Red Queen. Yes, unfortunately. Which I need to stop calling her that. She's called the Queen of Hearts. Queen of Hearts. Yeah, not one of my favourite characters. No, she's got a big plastic head no we wanted Gaston but it is what it is 
how did Disney go about getting the rights to this one? And when did it kind of start the process? Because is this like the first big adaptation of Alice outside of the books? And no, people have been adapting Alice in Wonderland for ages. So there was a 1933 uh, Paramount live action Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Um, in... 1923, uh, Walt Disney was 21 years old and he worked at the Laughagram Animation Studio in Kansas City, making a very unsuccessful series of cartoons called the Newman Laughagrams. And the very last one that they did was Alice's Wonderland, um, which was obviously based on the books, but it was a live action girl interacting with the animated Wonderland world, they did not do well. But they ended up getting picked up in Hollywood. They tried to redistribute them and, yeah, they began a little series of them in Walt Disney Productions. So the official first Walt Disney production is Alice in Wonderland. Cool. So this is kind of a go back and... Mm-hmm. look at something that you've done before but just so the, the, you know almost a very uh passion project for Walt Disney at this point yeah so in 1938 after Snow White had done phenomenally well Disney bought the film rights um with John Tenniel's illustrations and registered the title officially so that he was making Alice in Wonderland then hired all his wonderful storyboard artists and directors to develop the story and the concept. They actually finished the film, or a story reel of the film, in 1939, but they didn't like it. They thought it, Walt Disney thought it looked too much like the original illustrations, which made them quite difficult to animate because it was a very dark, um, like twisted, grotesque looking style. Which wouldn't really fit with what they'd done post Snow White. It would be a very different mm-hmm. follow up. Yeah. But at the same time, they basically were being economically destroyed by World War II. And they were also working on Pinocchio, Fantasia, and Bambi, as well as Alice in Wonderland. So Walt Disney shelved the production. Oh, blimey. Yep. So it very nearly just got stopped altogether. Mm-hmm. Until 1945. So yeah, a good six or so years mm-hmm. later. So he revived Alice in Wonderland, brought in a British author to rewrite the script this time. Uh, Aldous Huxley? Aldous is an interesting name. A-L-D-O-U-S. Cool. Aldous is the only way I can think to pronounce yeah. that. Which... So... <laughs> In this version of the story, you had Lewis Carroll and Alice Liddell as Who's the like characters. the 13-year-old girl that is a family friend of Lewis Carroll's that he based Alice off of. Mm-hmm. And like the more I read about that, the, the creepier it sounds. It sounds yeah. yeah, He spent way too much time with this child. In Aldous Huxley's story, it was a very, like they're both misunderstood and they've been persecuted after the book was released and everyone thinks that Alice Liddell's crazy, blah, blah, blah. And Walt Disney was like, no. (laughs) Oh, wait, so they're doing it as almost like... Set in the real world. But like the Saving Mr. Banks version of it, that it's post the book. Yeah. 
and it's now like, oh, that doesn't, that wouldn't work. That wouldn't be Alice in Wonderland. That would be Alice yeah. post Wonderland. Yeah. So they decided they weren't doing that, and then they decided that okay, we're just gonna do an animation of the book, and that will be fine. They wanted originally to have Ginger Rogers play Alice. Yeah. Which would have been quite cool, but they ended up with just an amazing child actress, Catherine Beaumont, who they ended up using for loads of stuff. Her parents were both professional performers, but she is Alice and Wendy in yes. Japan. And she was named a Disney legend in the 90s. Oh, yeah, but she absolutely would be, you know, with these these two big films on on her CV. Mm-hmm. Two of the biggest Disney roles from this era. Yeah. So they've cast their Alice. Mm-hmm. And you also, you look at the, the casting of this and you can see there's a lot of other names. Yeah. So this one follows Cinderella. But we do get another character from Cinderella mm-hmm. in Verna Felton as the Queen of Hearts. Yep. We also have Sterling Halloway, who is voicing the Cheshire Cat, but he's Mr. Stork in Dumbo, which was obviously watched by now. He's yes. the voice of Adult Flower, the skunk, in Bambi. And then Winnie the Pooh. Yes. But he's also Carr in Jungle Book and the mouse from the Aristocats. And we also have somebody who will go on to be in Mary Poppins in 13 years. Edwin. Yeah, Edwin, who is the Mad Hatter. And the doorknob. And the doorknob. Mm-hmm. Cool. So originally they had Joseph Kearns voicing the doorknob, and then like parts of his voice are dubbed with Edwin. Is that just because it didn't work? Uh, it worked. I think they had an issue with the recording, so they just needed to fix parts of it. But yeah, we've got a really nice cast from this one. We when... also have Marnie Nixon. Yeah, we do. Marnie Nixon, who has the singing flowers, is yeah. actually credited for once. Yeah, I know, right? Which is good to see. So I'm just realising now that Verna Felton was also in Dumbo mm-hmm. as Mrs. Jumbo yes. and the Elephant Matriarch, mm-hmm. and will go on to be in Lady and the Tramp, mm-hmm. Sleeping Beauty, mm-hmm. and The Jungle Book. So truly a Disney legend. Yeah, they really used her for everything. That's awesome. Because I didn't pick up on that in Dumbo. I thought Cinderella, I say she was the wicked stepmother. She wasn't. She was the fairy godmother. Obviously two very different roles. Yeah. But, you know, very cool to see. Mm-hmm. You know, a di- very different character here, I think, than the last time we'd have heard her voice. Where does Alice rank for you in terms of your Disney fandom? Is this one that you are fond of? I mean, what's your history with Alice in Wonderland? I was pretty... Well, so... (laughs) I got a cat for my birthday when I was three or four. And she was named Dinah. I named her Dinah straight away. I loved Alice in Wonderland. My mum, I had the illustrated version of the book and my mum would read it to me. I played Alice about six times before I was about 10 because I had like white blonde hair when I was a kid. So I had 
a very Alice-y childhood with all the Alice in Wonderland stuff. And I just really liked it all. I remember, like, I always get the two books mixed up because, like, it's all so muddled together in my brain. Yeah. Yeah. I just really like Alice in Wonderland. But I think it's all childhood nostalgia for me. Yeah. I'm not sure that rewatching this will be good for my <laughs> love of it. But this film really had nothing to do with my love of Alice in Wonderland. Like, I saw it, but like I say, there was the live action one. That That's the one that I watched over and over again. Which one? What, the Tim Burton live action one? Or... No, no, I hate that movie. Because you, you, you've told me already that you've never seen the follow-up Alice through the looking glass. I don't remember any other versions of Alice... So the version of Alice in Wonderland that I grew up with was the 1999 live action one. It had Whoopi Goldberg, Robbie Coltrane, and the girl who played Alice was Tina Margarino. Yeah. Who you might recognize. She's in Waterworld, like she's the little girl. Yeah. Um, Did you watch Veronica Mars? No. Did you watch Napoleon Dynamite? Yes. She's Deb. Oh, cool. I do know that. I know her then. Yeah. Blimey, so it's got Christopher Lloyd, Gene Wilder. That's a great cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I don't remember this version. She's also Molly in True Blood. I can't, I can't remember generic characters from True Blood. She's probably not a huge deal. She's in a whole bunch of episodes. We need to get back on watching that. I know. But, yeah, that's the version that I grew up with, which... They had the sequence where they do the mock turtle soup, which is why I know yeah. all the lyrics to that poem. Um, but, yeah. See, this isn't one I'm that fond of. That, you know, I'll have remembered watching it as a child. And I remember there's weird bits I just remember being really traumatised by. I think this hits, like, Pinocchio and Dumbo elements of just being, like, really trippy. Mm-hmm. With, like, some of the lighting within the animation also some of like the really grotesque characters like the red queen or the queen of hearts when she goes red in the face is horrific and her hair the way that they do her hair like animation being all freaky yeah yeah there's a lot of the animation in here that i didn't like just because i really found it quite difficult and scary to look at i haven't ever read the books but i i, I quite enjoyed the tim burton take on it i have to say you know, I thought that was okay as a film. Mm-hmm. I liked the idea. Is You know, it wasn't so much a remake like Disney are doing now where you get shot-for-shot shot versions of the same. It was more like Hook. Yeah. Where it's an older Alice returns mm. to Wonderland. So I kind of liked that aspect of it. Yeah, I just... There aren't very many Tim Burton movies that I like. Yeah. For the express reason that I like to be able to see films when I'm watching them on my TV screen. It's exactly why I'm not a big fan of the DC uh, cinematic universe. Yeah. It's like exactly that issue. But yes. So what do you remember about the plot of this? Because obviously the Tim Burton one has basically nothing to do with the plot of Alice in Wonderland. No, because you have the Jabberwocky in that one. Yeah. I just remember Alice goes through Wonderland and it culminates with the re- the Queen of Hearts. But that it's very, like, segment by segment by segment is you meet a character and then we never see that character again. Mm-hmm. So, like, we'll have a bit with 
the doorknob and then we'll never see the doorknob again and then we'll have a bit with Tweedledee and Tweedledum and we'll never see them again and then we'll have a bit with the Mad Hatter and we'll never see him again. Yeah. Blah, 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 you know, which I, I couldn't really tell you there is much of a plot for this other than she's just lost and she's just working her way through a misadventure to misadventure. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it like culminates with any kind of big moment of self-discovery or anything. Mm-hmm. It just happens. Which I think might be why the film didn't do well in its initial release. Yeah. What do you know about the music in this one? There's a lot of songs. That's true. Um, I remember the ones like, we're painting the roses red, we're painting the roses red. Um, because when I joined our old school, the very first year I was there as a, as a newly qualified teacher, the school production was Alice in Wonderland. So, you know, I remember some of these songs there being performed so that's quite nice it's quite upbeat musically i'd say yeah i wouldn't say anything's quite grim but there's also like poems as songs yeah so disney commissioned a bunch of different um songwriters originally to compose songs built around the poems from the book and over 30 potential versions of the songs were written. Many of them are still in the film, but some are only in there for a few seconds. But this has the most uh, songs of any Disney film. Yeah, that's crazy. Which is probably still true as well. Well, especially because this is only like an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, it has 16 songs. That's very long. That's almost like the whole thing is, well... Then we're going to get some short songs in, aren't we? There's no way. Mm-hmm. And like you say, all these little like vignettes that we go through to get to the actual plot. Yeah. You, all of these characters have songs as we go through. But yeah, Frank Churchill eventually composed uh, the non-poem songs and they were put into the artwork, but they didn't use it. They ended up not using any of his songs in the final thing but his melody that he wrote for the lobster quadrille which is a song that is not used in this um was used for never smile at a crocodile weird yeah which is from peter pan and i can't think how the tune to never smile at a crocodile would fit the lyrics to the lobster quadrille yeah but well interestingly as well with the sage version, mm-hmm. so we only have Alice in Wonderland Junior, which is the school high school productions. Yeah. Number of new songs, but also songs from existing Disney franchises. Like what? Zippity Doodah. That's spectacularly weird. Is added to Alice in Wonderland. Hmm. Which, you know, I can imagine probably is a good place to, to put it. Because it is a catchy song. Obviously, it doesn't really exist anymore. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it would fit Wonderland. You could have, like, the Mad Hatter singing it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, this one didn't do well at the box office. It was initially a complete bomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't make back its initial budget. They actually had to write off a million-dollar loss on Alice. Yep. But when it was re-released in the 1970s, it made its budget back so eventually became profitable not met well critically especially um 
British film and literary critics mm -hmm. who accused Disney of Americanizing a great work of English literature. But Walt Disney didn't seem quite surprised by that. He was like, yeah, well, I was doing my version of Alice in Wonderland and I've made it for a family audience. Mm -hmm. So I've obviously had to make changes to fit that. He also, this is the first time that he advertised Alice in Wonderland on TV. Oh, really? Yeah. So in 1950, um, they launched a television program featuring some animated shorts. It was called One Hour in Wonderland with Walt Disney hosting it. Wow. And you see in Saving Mr. Banks a little snippet of that kind of thing where he's talking to Tinkerbell. Yeah. Obviously, Peter Pan hasn't come out yet in this version, but he was introducing the shorts and then at the end they showed a trailer for Alice in Wonderland and it helped significantly but it also cost a lot of money <laughs> but yeah they promoted on TV for the first time which is a really cool it's yeah. weird to, to read that about things now because obviously we, we mostly talk about theatre so when we do get to talk about something that is purely a film and was a film first it's always weird to read about the marketing that goes into it yeah Oh, absolutely. So, are you ready? Yeah, it's time to jump down the rabbit hole mm -hmm. for some stuff and nonsense. I don't know how much I'm going to enjoy this one, but I'm I'm certainly excited to relive Alice in Wonderland. Yes, indeed. So we'll be back for a very merry unbirthday after the intermission. Mm -hmm. See you very shortly. We are back. Yes. I have uh, reawakened from my slumber. I always forget that the plot of this is a, and it was all a dream. Yeah. I remember f feeling inc incredibly disappointed. Mm -hmm. And I still do feel very disappointed. Such a cop out. And it actually makes... Do you know what at least they don't do though? What? It's like as at the end after they wake up, you have you see like the white rabbit go across in the background or something because that I cannot stand. That's even yeah. worse. I I mean, we don't like that as a trope, but it also means that the whole idea, the concept behind the Tim Burton film where it's Alice returns and all these characters know Alice but she's bigger, mm -hmm. makes no sense because she's never actually there. She dreams this place up. Mm -hmm. I just don't like it. I think it's a cop out with this. And especially because you're starting to have this chase sequence and then suddenly everything's over. You've kind of got the first point of action and it lasts all of 30 seconds and that's it, end of film. Yeah, basically. You know, the the closure's not really there or satisfactory. No, as we were watching this, I was trying to figure out what the moral of this is supposed to be. So, like, the person we meet at the beginning, the version of Alice that we meet, she's not very interested in anything particularly. She's very curious and imaginative, which is always good traits. Yeah. But, like, I guess her flaw is laziness. And then yeah. she spends the whole film running around. So, okay, I guess she's not lazy when she's focused on something. And then she's quite... Right, this is what I'm going to compare it to. Labyrinth. 
that's a good comparison. At the beginning of Labyrinth, Sarah is a brat, basically. <laughs> she complains that things aren't fair, but she's not willing to do anything to change things for herself. And she expects other people to fix things for her. She is a child. It's a coming of age story. And by the end of it, she is willing to fight for what she believes in. Yeah. And that's the character growth. And she is more grown up by the end of the story. Alice doesn't have any character growth. No. Like, it feels like they were trying to do that exact thing where, you know, at the beginning she complains a lot. And as we go through, you realise that she, you know, when we get to her talking about the advice that she gives herself, she has that moment of realisation that she never listens to the, the advice that she's giving, which is good, but then it just doesn't matter at the end. Like, none of that matters. Yeah. It's just really interesting. Well, this is the thing, is we obviously... I think the best bit of animation in this is right at the very start, when we get this beautiful layered shot and we see, like, the English countryside. Mm -hmm. It's gorgeous. Absolutely fantastic. And, I, you know, there's actually elements of it, the way it's composed, it looks like we're actually live action. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that bit. And, yes, we do... We meet Alice, who's having a lesson from somebody... I thought it was her mother. You pointed out it was her sister. Yeah, it's Alice's sister. You know, so we don't really have much, like, development of the outside world. No. And it very quickly happens. You know, Alice is one moment making a daisy chain for uh, Dinah. She's kicking up her fuss that she can't focus on a book without pictures. She tells Dinah that if she had a world of her own, everything would be nonsense. Mm -hmm. So, you know... She sings In a World of My Own. Yep. Very, very good song. Nice little medley, like, talks about this, you know, world that she'd have. I find it amazing that they're able to rhyme houses and trousers. I thought that was, you know, a lot of fun. Yeah, I like that. But it just kind of gets this idea that she's absolutely mm -hmm. this free spirit. It's almost like the original manic pixie dream girl, you know? Yeah. Like... Without Alice, would we have characters like Ramona Flowers? Mm. She doesn't care about conventional norms and what's expected of her. She's going to be her own person. I feel like that's the exact opposite of what Ramona Flowers' character is designed to be like. But but you know, but I mean, like the trope of the manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. My question was: Was her sister still reading at this point, just underneath the tree? Has she noticed that Alice has gone off and is just exploring the flowers? It doesn't matter because she's already fallen asleep. Well, but that's the thing is everything now, it doesn't matter because it, she's just fallen asleep. Yeah. We know that she's fallen asleep here because at the end she wakes up still sat on a little tree branch. But is her... No, well, she isn't. She's she's sat down and her sister comes to find her. So was she even having this history lesson to begin with? No, she sat against the tree. Yeah, so she wasn't... In she's the obviously climbed down the tree, but she's sat next to her yeah. sister next at the tree now. Yeah. It's a good, a good two little songs, you know. Alice in Wonderland is really nice and beautiful and classic Disney. And then In a World of My Own, again, feels very much like the real world. Mm -hmm. And then we get, I'm late, I'm late for a very important date. And I think the rest of the problem with this film is very much the songs are quick and done. You know, there's a lot of songs I gave low ratings to here because, yes, they're great and they're iconic, but they're 15 seconds in length. 
Yes. So for me, it's, it begs that question, do they qualify as a song? Mm-hmm. You know, if I was to have Alice in Wonderland as a CD, I'm Late would be so quick. It'd be over and done with. Yeah. But it is iconic. Like, everyone knows it. If you were, if you'd be like, I'm late, I'm late for a very important date, everybody would know the reference. It's really interesting to me. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? But I guess that's the entire premise that advertising jingles are built on. Yeah. So. Short and sweet. Mm-hmm. I like how the rabbit initially shows up in the pond as her reflection. I'm not quite sure how the physics of that work. It's supposed to be the reflection of him running across, but yeah. but you had that issue as well with the animation or the drawing on uh, oh Disney God, Plus. The cover, her, yeah. it, the shadow of her hand is the wrong way around. It's really weird. Yeah, it hurts the cat. Yeah, so Alice obviously follows this talking rabbit mm-hmm. and immediately falls into a hole. Dinah nearly follows. Dinah's like, bye. I love how casually <laughs> she says goodbye, Dinah. Like just so casual. Dinah's like, I'll stay here. See you later. And I'll tell you what, I do really appreciate how quickly we just get into it as well. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, we've not really had much depth to this outside world, but we are straight into Wonderland. We're maybe five minutes into the film. We're straight into the action. Mm -hmm. And the trippiness begins as she begins her descent down the rabbit hole. You know, the weird colours, the weird angles and the weird shapes. Yeah. You know, it's just an absolutely crazy descent. Mm -hmm. And... It feels very much like, you know, in Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, where you go through on the boat. Yes. Like, it's nightmare-inducing if you watch it ill. This is the bit I like, though, this bit of animation where she's falling. Yeah, and, like, gorgeous. She, she reads a book at one point, and then when she puts it down, she just, like, puts it into the air, and then it floats yeah. upwards because the of the magic of how this world works. Really I cool. really enjoy it. I think it's great, but it's just so interesting to see. It's like, instantly, it's very different than our world. Mm-hmm. And it is very nightmarish, dreamlike, which obviously makes sense now at the end, but... Yeah. It is definitely very much on par with, like... Pinocchio for me in terms of, and, and Mary Poppins as well it's that sort of thing that was like I, I remember watching these as a kid not feeling well and it having a real impact on me <laughs> you know like having the fever dreams of them yeah I like how Alice is like imagine a world where everyone walks upside down and you know we land and then it looks like the rabbit is walking upside down but mm-hmm. Alice is just upside down and she follows him and she sees the rabbit go through a door. So she tries to do the same. And now the door's apparently locked. I do like her little encounter with the doorknob where she goes to, you know, open him. And he goes, oh, you gave me quite a turn. Yeah. And I like his weird little jokes that he gives her. Mm-hmm. And she, this is where you get the start of like her being really irritated with all the nonsense that's immediately happening. Oh, yeah. But this is what you asked for, so... Right. Um, I like it as well that she corrects him. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's impassable. And she goes, no, don't you mean impossible? He goes, no, impassable. You can't get through here. You're too big. But yes, uh, she drinks the drink me potion. She does question it initially, which I was pleased to see, that she didn't just trust the potion. Yeah. You know, but she she drinks it, shrinks too much, and obviously then hasn't got the key. So she has the eat me biscuits. Mm -hmm. But now she's too big. It's just like Goldilocks and the three bears. 
you know, this chair is too big. This yep. chair is too small. And you're right, she's instantly irritating. Like, this is all she's wanted. And this is like, we're still like within the first 10 minutes of this film. And this is our protagonist who we're supposed to root for and kind of like. And she starts crying. Mm-hmm. And I just find that a really irritating thing about her. Like, there's no resilience to this girl who, you know, five minutes ago was quite independent. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just given up here straight away. Yeah. And she cries these big, fat, ugly, exaggerated tears as well. Like, it's weird Disney animation that it's, like, hysterical crying. Very stylized. Very, like, wet-looking yeah. crying. I don't know how else to describe it, because it, it looks how crying feels, you know? But considering, like, the animation of Alice as a character is more in line with, I'd say, Snow White than Pinocchio or Dumbo, mm-hmm. for her to have these huge cartoonish tears is quite jarring. But maybe that's just the impact of this world. You know, if we think of this as like some surrealist dream, which it is, mm-hmm. you've got this real life character inside this cartoonish and she becomes part of the cartoon. So she floods. Yep. And then she shrinks again. And she lands in the bottle. And the doorknob swallows her. Yep. And Alice meets a dodo and all these other, like, fish or crustaceans. The lobsters, yeah. Yeah. And we get the caucus race. And it's weird because, again, we go through this bit of peril, but she's never really in any danger. It just moves by really quickly and we're on to the next thing. Yeah. You know, it is like a series of vignettes. Like you say, that it's almost like Disney wrote these as his shorts, Mm -hmm. that you would watch the initial five-minute cartoon of Alice, and this is her going into Wonderland, and you show her descent. And here's the next one. And And it's the caucus race, and here's the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the caucus race, I mean... Again, it's just okay. We get a little bit of a talk about this little race. Mm-hmm. And essentially all they're doing is they're running around a circle, trying to get dry, but the waves still keep, like, going. Yeah. And the dodo is stood on top of a rock with his little fire going, so he's completely he's dry. He's like, oh, of course it works. I'm completely dry. Yeah. As everyone goes. And Alice again questions it because even though she wanted this nonsense, the rational side of her brain is like, yeah, but it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. For somebody who wanted nonsense, she's not willing to accept it. But she spies the rabbit, she gives chase. There's not much to be said for that as a sequence. She's bopping, uh, bopping no, along. Like it, yeah. You know, she sees this and we move on. And then we get Tweedledee and Tweedledum, which really confused me because you call them Tweedledum and Tweedledee. They are Tweedledum and Tweedledee. I know, but I've always read it and I've always heard other people say it's D and Dumb. Yeah. Tweedledum and Tweedledee decided to have a battle. Yeah. Tweedledee stole Tweedledum's something, something new rattle. Yeah. It's the poem. So. so basically, listeners, what I want to know is how do you usually say it? Is it D and then Dumb or do you say it Dumb then D? Tweedledum and Tweedledee. Tweedledee and Tweedledum. No. <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> I really dislike their character designs. I really do. Me too. They freak me out, but it's better than the Tim Burton ones. I actually quite like Matt Lucas as the, 
That's not my issue with Matt Lucas playing. No. The, my issue isn't who's playing the character. My issue is the designs. I know. I don't like that they have no neck. Yeah. But here, I really don't like how angular their faces are and like their weird feet. Mm-hmm. I just... It, again, it's going back to the idea that there's quite a few grotesque representations of characters in this. You know, th- these characters just look so... And don't get me wrong, it's the style of it. And again, it's this surrealism. But they just make me really uncomfortable to look at. Like, they do look quite intimidating and scary. Like, as a child, I don't know if these are characters I should root for or like. Because mm-hmm. angles typically represent evil. Whereas softness, for me, represents... But that's the point, is that everything here has that angularness. Like, even... So we get to the flowers. Yeah. Even the flowers are sinister, and you can tell by their faces they're all quite... There's something not right yeah, with them. Yeah, exactly. And they're flowers. They're supposed to be soft and pretty and, you know. And it's very stylized, but I just... I, I, I really struggle with the Tweedledee, Tweedledum. I think the the noises they make are very frustrating. You know, the honking noises they do, and as they, like, bop up and down, I just don't like it. Mm-hmm. And it's weird, because, again, these are, like, iconic characters... I just don't get on board with the, the squeaking, the squawking, the noises. It's, you know, And I'm glad they're not in it as much as I thought they were going to be. Like, we see them so briefly. Yeah. They they guide us through, the, again, a bit I hated, like, the absolute gave me nightmares as a child was the walrus and the carpenter. I hate this. Absolutely hate this. And I would cut, cut it completely from the story. I guess that it has the model of, like, be careful about being curious because... Like, you will just get in trouble. It's like the whole curiosity killed the cat thing. Mm-hmm. But this story is just horrible. Like, and, and I think it comes down to, like, this, again, really grotesque walrus character. And the way they've chosen to stylize these curious oysters as babies. They're always babies. They're babies in the book. I know. And I don't like it. I don't like the big ugly walrus eating the babies. I just love that you're taking it all really seriously and my brain is doing the the like Wonderland shut-off point and being like, but that's just how it is, which is quite funny. No, I know, but I just think the animation of this is like, you know, this awful manipulative walrus character and I just don't... The, he, he looks so ugly and horrible and... It's the point. I know. We've just watched Pinocchio. I know. And it's more of the same. Mm -hmm. It's just like the evil coachman. Mm -hmm. He's not like handsome coachman like Luke Evans. Even Luke Evans, they uglified. I know, but Luke Evans could never look bad. He'll always be gassed on as well. But yeah, I remember this bit gave me, I just, I think the character's design is really disgusting for this, which is the point. He's this villain. Mm -hmm. I don't, I I just think it's really traumatic as a sequence. And, And the bit where he like goes to eat the oysters and you see like him smacking his lips mm-hmm. and like his eyes. I just, it I, it puts me back to that child at being really scared by this sequence. Yeah. Even now, um, you know, the, the, the glee of this carpenter as he just picks up all the little rubbish from the scene, he builds like the fish house and he goes to like prepare the bread and comes back and all the olives are dead. Uh, uh, oysters are dead. But the worst bit is the shot of their shells at the end. Mm-hmm. Like that shot is just heartbreaking. <laughs> I don't like it because it also looks really like photorealistic. And we just zoom in on like these 
baby's shells. Yeah. I could do without this sequence. <laughs> yeah. This is the... So the poem, The Wars and the Carpenter, Yeah, I know the whole poem. Why? Because the drama club I used to go to uh, after school, we had to memorise poems. This is the poem that they you gave me to memorise. Because again, Alice, typecasting. Fair enough. I just, you know, it's a really harrowing sequence for a kid's family film, I think. You Walt know, Disney did not care about scaring children. No, he didn't. I do, again, like, it makes me really dislike Alice because Tweedledee and Tweedledum tell her this moral. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, well, there's only a moral to this story if you're an oyster. Mm-hmm. And she walks off. I'm just like, you're so stupid. And and you're just, you know, when you, you, you have somebody who just thinks they know best and whatever you say won't convince them. Mm-hmm. That's Alice. Like, she knows better than all of us. And she's going to learn very quickly. She doesn't know better than all of us. Yeah. Uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum sing Old Father Williams. And that just kind of happens. Mm -hmm. There's nothing of note. Yeah. And then we just sort of immediately move away from that. uh, Just a waste of a song spot. You know, like, they sing something. As Alice is leaving, it, it actually doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. It's not a fun song. It doesn't contribute to the plot in any way, shape or form. Yep. And Alice gets to the rabbit's house. And it's the first time they speak and interact. Yes, and he thinks she's Marianne, his maid, housekeeper person. Yeah. I don't know who Marianne would be. It's certainly not like a sister or something. No, no. It's it's a, a woman who works in his house. Yeah. So it's either it's the cleaner, the housekeeper, the maid, like whatever. <laughs> you know, okay. This little rabbit who works for the... Queen. Queen. Can obviously afford a housekeeper. Can obviously afford a housekeeper. But he's like so obnoxious. All these housekeepers look the same to him. Mm-hmm. So he tells her to go and fetch his gloves. So, of course, she eats an eat-me cookie. And we do get the iconic House Alice. Yes. Which is amazing. Um, My favourite adaptation of this is Gwen Stefani in What You Waiting For, where she's like in a little house. Because the whole um, music video for that is Alice in Wonderland inspired. And she's in the house and she's all sad and crying because she's too big for the house. Cool. But th- this is an my favorite version of this is that in one of the when I was like 14 or 15, my brother was in Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. And he played Big Alice. Because <laughs> <laughs> you didn't need to see her face. And he's like six foot. So they had this small child playing actual Alice. And then you had just everybody in the cast, like you would have four people would just stick their arms and legs out of the house so that it looked like somebody was huge who was in there. And then he was in the Alice dress with the wig so that he could like burst out of the house. And yeah, it was great. It was amazing. Just like Godzilla. Mm -hmm. I do love this sequence. I think it's, it's just fun. The rabbit thinks it's a monster. So he calls for the dodo to help. Mm-hmm. Weird persons can't call for help. I think he was just passing by. Yep, and the dodo's like, "Oh, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll find someone to go inside and get her out." So of course, Dick Van Dyke in lizard form shows up. Mm-hmm. What's the lizard's name? It's like Bill. Bill. It's Bill. It's not Bert because I wanted to call him Bert because obviously he's a chimney sweep. It's the same lizard we see in 
Basil, great mouse detective. He it's works true. for Rattigan. Yeah. So he obviously gets too freaked out by. But he gets shot out of Wonderland and into Victorian England. Yeah. Um, I felt bad for Bill. You know, he he shows up and he goes to climb the ladder and he sees this monster and he tries to run away and they push him up. And he goes down the chimney. All the soot happens. Alice sneezes and he gets shot into space. We never see Bill until Basil, Mm -hmm. you know, 30 years later. The dodo decides to burn the house down. Poor White Rabbit's like, no, my house, my house. And the dodo doesn't listen. Alice, (laughs) for some reason, eats a carrot and she just knows it's going to shrink her. And she goes back to a very small size and runs off as the dodo struggles to light the house. Mm-hmm. One of my favourite vignettes is this sequence, I think, from the whole film. Like, I feel like this is just fun. It doesn't go on too long, but it also, it, you know, is a character building thing for Alice in the, the fact that she kind of solves the problem herself and she doesn't rely on other people to help her. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, there's obviously a bit of luck, but she, she gets herself out of this mess. Yeah. Uh, I do like the bread and butterflies. I think they're so cute. I love bread and butterflies. Um, I love that as a sort of jokey thing. But obviously these are all Lewis Carroll things and Disney things. But I love how they look. And I love the music that accompanies them as they fly. It's like really sweet. Mm -hmm. And this is where Alice meets the sexy human flowers. I, I do like their design. Like you can see... There's a softness to them, but there's also this edge that, you know, like you're saying, is the angles where something's not quite right. Mm-hmm. But each flower has like a different sense of personality depending on like their genus. Yeah. And I really enjoy Golden Afternoon. Yeah. I think it's one of the better songs in this, but that might be because at this point it's a song as opposed to something stylized. Mm. And it's a song that's not like 30 seconds long. And it actually kind of contributes to Alice feeling a little bit of, like, joy in this world again. Yeah, and she joins in with the song as well. And they, she kind of messes up one of the notes, but they're all okay with it. Yeah, it just feels very quaint and old-fashioned. Like, it does feel like a Victorian summer's day. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a really well-designed song for these characters. Yeah. Yeah, and it is as lovely as Alice says it was. Mm -hmm. When she comes and goes, that was lovely. It was lovely. The flowers ask her genus... And she says she's an Alice, and then they mock her for how short her and, and like how, how short, short she her is. stems are. Yeah. yeah, and they mock her, and they're like, "Oh!" And, and she's like, "Well, I'm not a flower." She goes, "Oh, well, no, because you're a weed, aren't you? You're yeah, a little they think weed. She's a weed." And then they chase her out because they don't want her in her beds. Yes, a nice little vignette as well. You know, she starts to experience the joy of this world, but sees that there's this darker side to it as well. And then we get another kind of. Weird song, Mm A-E-I-O-U. Stop caterpillar time. I do like the caterpillar. Mm -hmm. I really like his design and how like all the different segments work. You know, he's got his legs and he's got his arms. Mm -hmm. But like not all the arms work with his brain the way he wants them to. So like two of his hands are holding the hookah Mm -hmm. as he slaps the other you know, hands to, to let yeah, go. Yeah, to let go. And then when he's trying to sit on his leaf, his back legs just are not cooperating. Yeah, I really like his design. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the little smoke letters, the way they appear. And it's like, who are you? And you get the little O and you get the R and you get the U, mm-hmm. these smoke letters. And Alison hails them and she says things back. The repetition of who are you is odd because it doesn't actually go anywhere. 
Yeah. It doesn't have, like, closure where she's like, well, I'm Alice. And he's like, oh, Alice. Well, the, again, you have the thing where at this point she's not sure who she is anymore because she doesn't feel like Alice. And she's just had all the flowers tell her that that's not a thing either, being an Alice. And I guess her identity of being like, oh, yeah, I'm all about this nonsense. And now suddenly she's not enjoying the nonsense. Mm -hmm. So Alice has kind of lost who she is. But again, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. You know, Obviously in this version. It yeah, in this version. Anywhere. Yeah, and I, I do think, you know, to go to the Tim Burton version, I think Alan Rickman was great voicing the caterpillar. Mm-hmm. But the who are you actually worked because Alice needed to remember I'm Alice. Yeah. And I, I with that in mind, I thought it was going to go somewhere and it was just odd that it kept getting repeated and never seemed to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. She storms off, but he beckons her back. He's got something important to say and he tells her, keep your temper which is quite important. That's going to benefit her later on. Yeah. I also love his angry turn. You know, she's like, I'm three inches. He's like, what's wrong with being three inches? I'm three inches and my body's perfect. (laughs) And he gets so angry that he turns into a butterfly. Yep. And again, you know, he gets... (laughs) really angry he gives her some advice he's like you know one side smaller one side taller and Alice is like what do you mean what and he goes the mushroom of course Mm. I just like it when he goes all angry you know the change of the colours again yeah the colour change is very cool yeah Yeah, it's not as scary as it's with other characters here because I feel frustrated for him Mm -hmm. you know she has the mushroom she gets a bit of the mushroom she just eats a bit she goes really really tall and she panics a bird yeah, she freaks out the, the mum bird. Yeah, the bird calls her a serpent. Mm-hmm. I, I, again, I thought that was really trippy, the way she, she, she got bigger, which maybe is. Because it's just her neck, yeah. Yeah, it's just oh, weird because you had the vibration of the animation. And then she eats a small bit again. She goes really, really small. So she decides to take a lick and all is normal. So she's like, I'll save you for later. And mm-hmm. puts bits of the mushroom in her apron. Yes. She's got a very similar character design to Dorothy, hasn't she? If she had dark... Just the dressing style. If she had dark hair, her and Dorothy would be too similar. Yeah. It's more just the clothing style. Yeah. Like, this is how we know she's still a child, because her skirt hasn't been let down yet. Yes. We can still see her legs. I forgot to mention how much I love the bit where she's descending and her skirt becomes like a parasol mm-hmm. to help her flight down like Princess Peach. I liked that. <laughs> Princess Peach. Yeah. Yeah, and Super Smash Bros. Right? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's just funny. So this leads us nicely up to Twas Brillig. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know what happened with this song. You know, we get some pretty lights that accompany Alice. And this song just kind of happens. I don't really understand its significance or the lyrics or anything. But it leads us to the Cheshire Cat. It doesn't make any sense that this song happens here. Because... We meet the Momraths and the Slivy Toads later. later. Yeah. So, yeah, but, you know, it's the Cheshire Cat that's singing this song, so. Yeah, and I really like the Cheshire Cat. I really love, like, his animation and his style. Mm-hmm. And I think he's definitely one of the biggest things to come out of this version of Alice. Like, you see a lot of Cheshire Cat stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't kind of get what his deal is because, like, I thought it was that he was, he could turn invisible. But then, like, he can also move, remove his head or change, like, you know, his order around. 
Yeah. But I, I like him. I like that he speaks in these riddles. Mm-hmm. And he sends Alice towards the Mad Hatter in the March Hare. And he tells her that most everyone's mad here. When she says, I don't really want to talk with this Mad Hare or a Mad Hatter either. And I was surprised at how quick this sequence was. Because I was like, is that all we get with the cat? And obviously, no, we're going to get a bit more. Mm -hmm. But I was left just like, oh, is that it? We've got three minutes with this iconic character. Yeah. Okay. And we move on. And I think this is the bit that, you know, kind of we have the most life to this sequence. And it goes on the longest for good reason. Mm-hmm. is we finally see the Mad Hatter, the March Hare, the Dormouse, as we get the Unbirthday song. Yeah. A very merry unbirthday to me. me. It's my unbirthday too. It's my unbirthday, funnily enough. I really love, like, all the different teapot designs. Mm-hmm. I think they're really fun. And Alice sits down, she applauds their song, and she gets instantly told off because it is very rude to sit uninvited. Yes, indeed. And, you know, Alice apologises, says, I just really wanted to join you for tea mm-hmm. uh, and congratulates them on the unbirthday. Not that she knows what it is. And they kind of explain the rules of the unbirthday, you know, what it is. Mm-hmm. And we get a really nice, like, teacup chorus, which is great because they were, like, making the noises. And they're like, beep, 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 beep. Yeah. yeah, it's cute. I like that. And essentially, we get one birthday a year, mm-hmm. but we get 364 unbirthdays in a year. Yes. Um, so Alice talks about how, oh, well, it's my unbirthday too. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. I don't like the designer of the Mad Hatter. I really don't. I I I don't like the big nose. I don't like his, like, balding head. I don't like his lisp. Yeah. I think this is one of the things that I do think Tim Burton got kind of right with, like, his version of the Mad Hatter. I do prefer, like, the Johnny Depp character design. It's not perfect. Yeah. I don't get... My issue with the character in the Tim Burton version is that it feels like they try to make him a love interest. No, he's not a love interest, I don't think. I don't care. <laughs> I get what you, you're saying. I, I can... Like, they had to have a semi-attractive man to be in this story. And for some reason, the Mad Hatter is the one they went with. They couldn't have written in the Knave of Hearts. No, the Knave being, of Hearts is it. it, it as being, like, attractive. Yeah. Or, you know, have some guy character... Who's not the Mad Hatter? Yeah. I don't see him as a love interest. I think he's... Especially because he remembers Alice and the whole he remembers this. So I think it's far more like a father figure type thing. But Well, yeah, so the people always adapt it so that um, for some reason the Mad Hatter is Lewis Carroll. It doesn't make any sense. Because there's no correlation there. He's no. a made-up character. But, I mean, so is Lewis Carroll. But, you know, it's particularly weird. Yeah, maybe it's just like the whole creator thing or it's like... Yeah. I, d- I don't know. I just don't like the design of this this character. Mm-hmm. It. I like that when they made 
Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. They had the actor who was voicing King Candy do an impression of the Mad Hatter. Yeah. Because, obviously, he's the bad guy. He is trying to be all lovable and cute, so he's doing his Mad Hatter impression. Yeah. I love that. That was awesome. I think that's very, very cool. Alice goes to tell her origin. She mentions a cat and the Dormouse panics. Mm -hmm. So we get chaos. There's a really good bit as they keep moving, keep changing places, but the March Hare says he just wants half a cup, please, of tea. So he cuts the teacup in half with a knife. Mm -hmm. The Mad Hatter fills up the cup, but it does fill up just half. And you get that invisible line, the tea settles. I thought that was a really good visual gag. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) There's some weird moments where Alice says some things that imply she's mad and the Hatter and the Hare don't like that she's mad. It's like they they don't know their reputations and they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, we don't want to sit and have tea with someone who's mad. Yeah. Uh, time beckons the rabbit. Alice talks about how she doesn't have the time for more tea. Mm-hmm. And the, the rabbit appears and shows the hatter his watch. And he's like, oh, I see the problem here. Your clock is two days slow. Yeah. So the hatter goes to fix it, but actually destroys the watch. You know, mm-hmm. he tears all the cogs out. He puts jam and milk in it and sugar and everything in. Mm-hmm. And when he shuts the clock up, he cuts it like it's a pie. That was funny. And then the watch starts like jumping in like agony. And the March Hare shouts, bad watch, and slams it with a mallet. Mm-hmm. That was funny. Alice says it was the stupidest tea party ever. And she's finally had enough nonsense. So this world that you dreamt of, Alice, it's not as uh, not as good as you felt would be is it you know grass isn't always greener alice mm-hmm. you, you get careful what you wish for well that's the other thing like maybe that that's the moral is be careful what you wish for yeah and that but then she doesn't learn that yeah she should be like oh i'm so happy to see you sister i was in a dreadful world yeah I because thought... at least with um over the rainbow is not what the film's called wizard of oz wizard of oz at the end, she's like, oh, and I realise now I'll never leave you again. I shouldn't try to be away from you. I need you all in my life. It's like, oh, okay, cool. She learned something and you from were this there. experience. And you were there. Yeah. Alice is not learning anything. No. She goes into Tolgi Wood. Tolgi. Tolgi Wood. Yeah. And this is where we get some of like, my favourite animal designs. So we get like the glasses and the mirror creatures, mm-hmm. who are the cutest. You get the little horn ducks, frog drum, umbrella birds, oh my. Mm-hmm. You you get like these wonderful like there's a bird that he's a bird cage mm-hmm. and he has birds inside and they get out so he chases off and swallows them back into the cage. Yep. I just really liked all these animal designs and I'm sure they don't come from Disney. I'm sure they are characters in Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. But they looked really good. Yeah, my favorite character in this entire thing is the glasses bird. Yeah. Not the mirror one, just the glasses yeah. with the nose. He's so cute. He's so cute. I adore him. And yeah, especially when he looks into the mirror and then you see his his eyes back. It's very, very cute. And you get the them all like telling Alice off as she goes through because they're like intruding in their land. Mm-hmm. And you've got like a little pe- the, the little hammer and the, the pencils that say do not... Um, touch the momraths momraths yep 
And the Momaths point Alice in a sign. So she follows it. But then you get the dog broom sweep. Yeah. And I just love it. The little dog broom is just... And he stops when he gets and to Alice. And the way that it, it... The little tune that it makes is yeah, so cute. Yeah, I really liked this. This is one of my favourite sequences because I really liked these nonsense characters. Mm-hmm. And Alice sits and starts crying as she sings very good advice. Uh, she should have listened to her very good advice because she gives it, but she was too, like, ignorant to listen. So she's she's kind of learning at this point. You know, mm-hmm. be careful what you wish for. It's weird because she's lost and sad, but all the critters are then sad too. But yeah. their tears kind of wash them away because they cry and just fade. Yeah, they stop existing because it's she doesn't want them to anymore. Yeah, which makes sense now with the dream. Mm-hmm. And the moon turns into the Cheshire Cat. Mm-hmm. Cat's back. And he does a really good queen impression. And yeah. he like pulls his face. It's like when Pikachu does impressions of other Pokemon. Oh, and it's so cute. Yeah. This one was less cute, but it's, it's funny. Mm-hmm. Tells Alice to seek her out. And he's like, some people go this way. Some people go this way. But me, I like to take a shortcut. And he opens like a doorway through this tree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're in the end game now. Uh, Alice goes to the tree. And we're at this maze. We're at the the Red Queen's, the the Queen of Hearts gardens. Yes. And she goes through and we get one of my favourite songs, Painting the Roses Red. Mm -hmm. I really like this. Mm -hmm. It's a really good song. We're painting the roses red. I like the card designs. Like, I think they look really interesting because you get like the 2D, but the way they move as well. Yeah. It's fantastic. They're not only painting the roses red, they're also painting the floor red. Mm-hmm. Because like they're leaving this huge like trail from where they just slap the paint on. So they've they've grown roses for the Queen of Hearts. She specifically wanted red, because that's her whole aesthetic. Yeah. They accidentally planted the white roses. And if she sees them, they'll have their heads chopped off. Which again is quite dark for this family film. Like it's quite scary, this idea of having a head cut off. Mm-hmm. But Something obviously because so we're never shown it. It's no. comedic. Yes. Alice helps them. Like, no questions asked. She just does it. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, I can do this. And then we see, like, the marching from the castle. But this once green maze is now really dark. Mm-hmm. So you've got this nice sense of foreboding that this Queen of Hearts isn't as nice as the Cheshire Cat has maybe said. Yeah. And you're starting to worry so that's really, really good. It's very menacing. But the march also, I thought, became really trippy, just like pink elephants. Mm-hmm. You've got all these different colours and you've got the cards doing, you know, like this Busby Berkeley musical sequence where they're going around in circles and spinning. And like, it's kind of 3D, but not. Yeah. And it, again, it was like, whoa, what's going on here? Like proper mesmerising and unsettling, mm-hmm. which is really good for what this moment of the film is. And yes, we're, we finally meet the Queen of Hearts and the King. And the King gets a small hooray when, when he's introduced by the White Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Queen is furious at the paint. So she sees the paint and she's absolutely angry. And, you know, they, they say it was the Ace. No, it was the Deuce. Oh, it was, it was Mr. Three. And they're all, all in trouble. And they hear what they've been dreading off with their heads. Mm-hmm. And then Alice is left and hides the paintbrush because obviously doesn't want that. And the Queen is quite polite to her. 
It's like, oh, you're, you're a little girl. You're a human like me. Oh, you know, and Alice tries to interrupt and she starts shouting and she gives Alice a lesson in manners. You know, you should curtsy and always say, yes, your majesty. Yeah, so Alice starts doing that. And ask if they've ever played croquet and Alice says, yes, so it's time for a match. Mm-hmm. And I really love the little hedgehog balls and the, like, stork clubs. Yeah. They're really cute. The little green hedgehog is really, really cute. Mm-hmm. But it's the most rigged game I've ever seen in anything. Because the queen doesn't even hit the hedgehog, but the hedgehog just goes rolling and all the cards jump in his way. And he's very deliberately moving in and out. Yeah, and, and he, they dip diving and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So Alice has a go and her club is just mugging her right off. Like it, yeah, she gets the one with the creepy laugh. The, like, Annabelle doll laugh. Right. And it's just, like, moving its head or ducking in its neck. Mm-hmm. And she says, do you both want us to get our heads cut off? And he just laughs in her face. And then we cut to the cards all having a jolly good laugh. And we cut back. And now Alice is lying on the floor and the club is pretending to use Alice. Mm-hmm. But Alice still manages to hit her hedgehog. And she watches in anger. as like the cards are deliberately moving out of the way of it. Yeah. And the Queen of Hearts having this great time winning, as is tradition. But the Cheshire Cat shows up. Mm -hmm. Like, just initially we get the tail, and Alice is having a conversation with it, but this angers the Queen. So, she's going to kill Alice. Yes. For disrespecting her and not taking the game seriously. Mm -hmm. And her red, big red angry face is horrible. Like, it's really terrifying. I, I know she's the villain, so this is okay, but it's it's really scary to look at. Mm-hmm. The king, though, steps up and says, no, we should have a trial. But even then, before it even begins, we get the sense that the queen's not taking it seriously. Yeah. So we get our three witnesses. All the queen wants is to cut her head off, and she's not really listening to anything else. But again, I still think that this is kind of a flaw with this, is the fact that this is just what she does, that there's no reason or development of it. You know, she's just this bad person, but we don't necessarily know why. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, and that, that that's a struggle sometimes to cope with. Our first witness is the March Hare. He knows nothing. We get the Dormouse, who just sings, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Bat. Mm-hmm. And our jury's writing this all down as evidence. Twinkle, twinkle, twinkle. And number three is the Mad Hatter. And we get the bit where, I liked this, the evil queen shouts, Off with his hat! Yeah. So he takes his hat off mm-hmm. and mentions it's the Queen's on birthday too. So they sing the song mm-hmm. and she gets a little like hat as a present. It's a crown, but yeah. it's also not CC. a crown. Yeah, it's, it's the Cheshire Cat. Cheshire Cat. And he prompts even more trouble. Mm-hmm. And at this point, you know, she's like, right, Alice, you're going to die. So Alice eats both the mushroom pieces. And she grows huge. Mm-hmm. And the Queen's terrified by this. And Alice starts telling her off and insulting her. But with each like venomous thing she says, she gets smaller. So I think that's like a, you're not the bigger person. That's because she ate both of them. Oh, is that what it is? is I thought it was just the sides. I thought it was just the side you, lit, the side you took. No, she took one from each side. Ah, there we go. So she goes up and drinks. I thought it was more like a metaphor that like you can't be the bigger person when you start throwing... Shade and insults at people. That would at least mean something. Yeah. But I like this bit. The Queen's terrified, but Alice doesn't necessarily realise he's shrinking. 
And then the queen says, what did you say to me? And the king repeats it all. Mm-hmm. And she goes really angry. And this bit happens so quickly now. We're at this huge climax. But the film's going to be over in a minute or two. Yep. Alice starts running. And it's this really zany, trippy experience. Because we go back through these different moments. But instead, like, she's small Alice. And it's like, she goes into the teacup with the Mad Hatter. And you get, like, these weird, like, lines going all around the screen. And she's just running, being chased. Yep. Back through all these different experiences. All of Wonderland is after her at this point. Mm-hmm. She goes back through the Caucasus race and... Yeah, back through. Um, she sees uh, the caterpillar again, who's like, who are you? Mm-hmm. And she finds the doorknob and she's like, come on, wake up, wake up, let me let me out, let me out. And he's like, I can't let you out. You were never in here. And You're already out there. And, and then see... she sees herself and then she wakes up. And it was all a dream. And her sister's like, Alice, Alice, wake up. You need to recite your lessons. Oh, never mind. Time to go home for tea. Alice. In Wonderland, how do you get to Wonderland? Mm-hmm. It just happens so quickly as an ending. Yeah. Like, there was no kind of... It's like, oh, guys, we're running out of time. We need to speed this up. Just like Dumbo. Yeah. Just like Dumbo. Mm-hmm. We reach this big conclusion. We don't see anything that happens next. And we just get a crazy quick montage. I can see why, critically, this didn't do well. Mm-hmm. Like, because it's over before it really begins. Yeah. You know, why have we got this evil monarch? At least with the Tim Burton one, you know, there's some stakes like Wonderland needs a saviour and that's going to be Alice. Here it's just kind of done. Yep. Who's your MVP? Catherine Beaumont, for sure. Yeah, She's Alice. a literal child. Yeah, no, recording I Recording this and she does a really good job. She's also the physical actor yes. for Alice when they were animating. So. And that's why I put Alice as mine because I think vocally she does a really good job mm-hmm. I don't necessarily like the character's arc but considering the amount of work that went into Alice mm-hmm. really really good mm. what's, what's your, your best song? I put Roses Red I painting the Roses Red oh, I put In a World of My Own yeah mm. I just like we're painting the Roses Red I think it's got a really nice theme and the way it keeps coming back and they're like you don't want to lose your head you know they, yeah. I like that bit I put my skip song as Old Father Williams Fair enough. But, like, I would argue that there's a lot of songs in this I'd skip Mm. because they're just inconsequential and go nowhere. So, like, I'll give you some examples because there's a load of How do you do in Shake Hands? Yes. How do you do in Shake Hands? I didn't like that one. Caucus Race, Warus and the Carpenter, you hated. Yep. Yep. Those are ones I get rid of. Uh, We'll Smoke the Blighter Out. Mm -hmm. A-E-I-O-U. Twas Brillig. They're all just like inconsequential, but I, you know, I like painting the roses red. Very good advice. The unbirthday song. Yeah. Um, I'm late. Yes, it's not a proper song, but it's at least, you know, iconic. Yeah. But there's a lot here that I would skip. You know, it it it, it is disappointing. I think. What would you say is your skip song? I think I agree with you. That that sounds about right. Like, it just doesn't actually serve any purpose. Mm-hmm. I think the issue with this is if you look at the writers, there's so many different people who contribute to the writing of this. Mm-hmm. They got Fane and Hilliard doing a lot of stuff. But then you've also got Oliver Wallace and Ted Sears doing some of the songs. And you've got Don Ray and Jean de Paul 
doing one song and then the unbirthday song is mark david al hoffman and jerry livingston so stylistically they don't all work with this because mm-hmm. there's not one voice behind the composer at least like which sometimes can work if you look at um the spongebob musical for yes. example which is coming on tour here soon isn't it so excited yeah me too we wanted to watch that a long time ago but that has multiple composers multiple songwriters behind all the different songs and it works really well am i right in thinking though that it's also big names writing it like didn't david bowie contribute to it Mm -hmm. so you know i think that that works slightly differently because it's almost like bringing different styles but i think the the music in this is is disappointing Mm. who would you want to play I've been Alice enough times that I can probably just say Alice. I I quite like to play the King character. I thought he was funny. He's cute. He's very cute. But I, I, I wouldn't mind doing, like, the Cheshire Cat. Mm-hmm. I think that could be a fun role. I will never be the walrus. Yeah. Cuckoo, cuckoo. Hmm. So over to Twitter, where we put up a poll, as is tradition, and we asked you for your thoughts. Interestingly, nobody has said, no, they're not a fan of this one. 18% of people have said they've never seen it. 55% of people saying it's okay. And 27% of people saying, yes, it's wonderful. Yeah. Nobody's saying no. We had from Tony uh, over at Theatre Flashback 1, who says, I love Catherine Beaumont, who voiced Alice and Wendy and Peter Pan. Yeah. I see this film more as a piece of art than entertainment. It's beautiful and crazy, but not high on my list of Disney films. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting. I mean, I'm inclined to agree to that. I don't think this film is a good film. Mm-hmm. I don't think this film is an entertaining film. But I think it is this weird, like, surrealist piece of art. Yeah. And visually to look at it, it is a treat. Even if some of the depictions of the characters are grotesque and terrifying that actually plays into its surrealism Mm -hmm. what do you think yeah like historically now this is just a piece of art yeah it's not as movies go by like modern disney movie standards it's not a good movie yeah i think that's the best way to look at it is just showcasing the story of alice in one time but bring these kinds of life and just showcasing these characters in this artistic style. Mm-hmm. I gave this one three stars. I think that's fair enough. Because I, I, I know I've sounded quite negative through talking about this. Like, it's not without its merit. You know, there are some nice moments to it, but I just think musically it's disappointing. Mm-hmm. And the narrative leaves a lot to be desired. But I, you know, I put this on above Dumbo. Dumbo is still my lowest rated Disney yeah. But it is ranking under Pinocchio. Hmm. But still. Well, I'd be interested to see how our next two rank for you because our next Disney next month is Peter Pan. Cool. And then after that, it's Lady and the Tramp. Peter Pan isn't one I've gone back and watched. I am not excited to watch the Disney Peter Pan. Is I, that because you know I'm not a fan of Peter Pan or is it because you're, you you know that you won't like this? I don't like it. It's the only version of P- Peter Pan I actively dislike. Won't it be interesting if it's the first one I truly resonate with as an adult? <laughs> I hope not. Lady and the Tramp again. No high hopes for that one. i tell you what I loved as a kid. Lady and the Tramp 2. Yeah. That film was amazing. <laughs> I remember really liking Lady and the Tramp. 
I remember being really freaked out. All I remember is Tramp being chased across a bridge by some other dogs and then, like, jumping off. Yeah, and then we've also got the awful racist depictions, don't we, with Lady and the Tramp. With the cats. Yeah. Yeah. And also with Peter Pan. Yep. So we'll be talking about all of those uh, at some point in the rest of 2022. Yeah. Which is scary. Well, at least Lady and the Tramp is a Christmassy one. There we go. We can put that as our December Disney, can't we? It was that Mm. on Muppets Christmas Carol. I want to watch Muppets Christmas Carol. We'll still watch it. Like, we will still watch it. Maybe that can be our next Christmas. Is it the singing of a street corner choir? It's, well, you know, we've got three really good. I say three. We've got three Disney choices for a, a Christmas. Mm-hmm. You've got Lady and the Tramp, because mm-hmm. obviously there is action at Christmas. We have the Muppets Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. We also have Skeleton Jack. What a nightmare before. Yeah, the Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Because for me, yes, debate, we've had this debate as long as this podcast exists. It's one of our, like, weirdest polls that got so much votes. And even then it didn't, like, solve our argument of you saying it's a Halloween film and me saying it's a Christmas film. It is a Halloween film. No, because Halloween is over. It doesn't embody the spirit of Christmas. No, but Halloween is over. The whole point, we start the film as Halloween's dead. It doesn't embody the spirit of Christmas. Mm. Loads of Christmas films, don't you think? The Christmas Prince embodies the, the spirit Christmas of Christmas. The Christmas Prince 100% embodies the spirit of Christmas. How day. <laughs> it's like that horrible film Noel that you, you started watching and I was like, I can't be in the room while you're watching this. Movie does not embody the spirit of Christmas. I will not watch it. I don't think <laughs> that's a fair assessment. I mean, like, come on, what speaks to the Christmas season more? Than consumerism. That's why I hate it. Jingle all the way, where you know you, you're desperate to buy this present so much that you'll punch a reindeer. I hate it. We 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 have very different tastes in Christmas we films. We do, but it's nice to know that we have similar tastes in musicals. Mm-hmm. And we want to know your thoughts on Alice in Wonderland, obviously as well. You know, is there anything that you think we got wrong in this? Next week we're going to be watching Jersey Boys yeah. at the New Victoria Theatre in Woking. So we want to hear your thoughts on Jersey Boys. You know, are you a fan of that? Is it more a fan of the film adaptation or are you you just a huge fan of this as a franchise? Because I know that Jersey Boys is one of the longest running shows on Broadway and the West End. Then we're going to be talking about Thoroughly Modern Millie. Before we have uh, Peter Pan, possibly. Mm -hmm. Then it's going to be our Halloween season where we're going to talk about two spooky films. One of them, you you refuse to tell me what it is yet, mm-hmm. but the other one will be Zombies 2 on Halloween itself. Mm. Before we take a little break in November and we go back to uh, musicals without a theme, before we go into our Christmas season. Very, very exciting time ahead. As always, you can get involved in the conversation over on Twitter and Instagram at It's a Musical Podcast. Let us know your thoughts on any of our upcoming uh, features. Yeah. And make sure your voice is heard on the show. You can subscribe to us on a multitude of good podcasting platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on the Amazon Music app under the podcast section of the library. We're on Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Good Pods, and our OG hosts, Podbean. And if you enjoy the show, share it with a friend, share it with your family, share it with anyone. And why not leave us a review and tell us what you like about the show. But until next week, same bat place, same bat channel, 
have a magical musical Monday.